You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Pat, how are you, sir? Good, thanks, Joe. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Spring is starting to to spring, I guess, isn't it? So, um, I found out oh, the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, start off with a terrible. See, it, this is all this at-home schooling. It just turns. You've been posting online, Joe. I have, I have, I have been posting online. It's my Joe has, Joe has sprung. <laughs> my, yeah, my beautiful, uh, my beautiful poetry. Um, some of you can follow me at uh, jmwrites.com.au. Uh, no, all good. <laughs> no, you're right. So you've been doing homeschooling. Yeah, you know, I was just, I was just saying it. Kind of, it, it, it kind of turns you into these like one kind of bit sound bites, I reckon. But uh, what I did find out the other day, not from homeschooling, but speaking of kind of narratives and stuff, you don't really know. So I was down at the uh, the local coffee shop near where I live. It's a, as I think I've said on here before, it's a pretty eclectic um, cast of characters that are in and out of that place. But uh, you know, one of the one of the farmers who's kind of in to get his uh, his morning kind of um, coffee, just the way he likes it um i think he gets like a half chai latte or something or something like that with some some stuff on top <laughs> trying to look after herself these days but uh he was saying that october is actually the wettest month of the year right which i was i was astounded to hear i did not know that yeah i remember hearing that when moving down here someone said that and i was like yeah, i don't believe you but yeah this month has been soaking wet down here <laughs> it's it is, yeah, yeah. If we didn't already feel cut it, cut adrift by COVID, we're now uh, we're all starting to build. We're all starting to build boats, aren't we, Pat? Down our way, so yeah. It's either build boats or build mold you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes both. Sometimes both. Sometimes both. But what yeah. a yeah. So. That's where we are in Victoria, building boats. Handy, holding off rain. That rain's come across the whole of Vic, so mm. shout-outs to the rain and Victorians. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's. I mean, it is funny, isn't it? Like, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's a it's a good way to kind of get into some of the, some of our chat is that kind of, the you know, the notion of kind of Australia with this kind of this dry country, right, in terms of kind of, you know, when we kind of tell our story about kind of where, where we live, this is the part that we, that we leave out. I think quite a, quite a bit is kind of our dependency upon, upon that rain. Whereas if you go back into kind of a lot of indigenous culture, a lot of kind of, um, I guess the the kind of the dreamtime stories are are about exactly what we're experiencing. So this kind of this interaction between this country that is incredibly dry, but then yet gets this rain that comes in and kind of just you know goes absolutely everywhere is is as old as time. Mm. Well said, and I think the the new culture that came through and the colonial culture definitely told the the dry bit a lot. Mm. Had a contrast to its past. Um, coming from Europe, I think it experienced itself very differently when it was there. And the dry is a narrative that has lived very long in, well, 200 years long, not that long for Australian culture. Um, so, yeah, it's a good point. Um, and Queensland, shout outs to Queensland, if anyone knows Queensland out there. <laughs> exactly. They get a lot of rain, but it's very different. But, yeah, you're right. How a narrative sticks 
um, and how people identify with it. But yeah, it's funny when you do think of Australia. What did you think of Australia moving here? Did you think it was going to be wet or dry? Um, no, I mean, I, th- I thought it would just be, yeah, this kind of, you know, I think what you see from the outside looking in, in again, it's kind of, you know, how a narrative is told, told to the world in terms of kind of brand Australia is that you, you pretty much think everyone lives at the beach. Um, you know, it's kind of this, this idea of kind of like, you know, beach culture. And that's, that's really what you're, what you're told, what you're not told is the kind of the contrast, I think, in terms of landscape, etc. Right. And so you have, you have an idea about the outback but you don't really kind of you know you don't really know what that is um, and, you don't, and, you, and you don't think you're coming to live in it um, and then you know you kind of get you kind of get an idea um, I guess of kind of you know like big big city life right so you kind of get a picture of you know certainly Sydney um, just through the fireworks that are out kind of every every year um, you know it kind of tends to in in Europe and North America, certainly it's the first fireworks you see are coming from Sydney, which I think, you know, is kind of the reason they invest so much in it is because it's just a beautiful shot of the Harbor. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's placemaking and it's kind of, it's, you know, it creates this myth of kind of Sydney, you know, you see all the boats and kind of everything out and, you know, you just um, project onto that, that, you know, these guys are just having an absolute laugh. It must be paradise. Yeah. Stubbies and all. Yeah, Although you wouldn't know what those were, yeah, you wouldn't know what a stubby is. Yeah, hopefully you get a local just talking garbage <laughs> on that New, New Year's time live broadcast across. Yeah, to get a bit of colour in there, maybe with a big old knife. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what Paul Hogan just does? Is just walk around with a knife in his hand? Isn't that what every Australian does? But yeah, that brand Australia, that's a good point. It's an interesting one. I've never heard that one with the fireworks, even though it's when you say it like that, obviously it's sitting right there. But I didn't know it hit the world stage like that as the first. Yeah, it's just because of the the day, yeah, the, time. The, the time zone. Yeah. The time zone thing works out pretty well in terms of kind of coming across. But I think, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because it is a, it is an enduring kind of story that, you know, I think kind of Australia has, has told back, back to the world in terms of that, you know, I think obviously it has a different relationship to kind of England, I think in terms of kind of the, the closeness. Um, and I've been fortunate in my life to kind of experience both. So like if you're in kind of England, I think you have much more of a sense of what Australia is actually about, but it's kind of, it's told to you through neighbors kind of home and away kind of, you know, everyone kind of spends their gap year um, out and cricket and kind of rugby and stuff. Right. So it's kind of, it's told to you through those types of kind of um, conduits, I guess, in terms of experiencing it. But if you're in North America, it's much more in movie form that you would kind of see, see Australia or kind of, you know, from like, you know, travel, travel shows, it's kind of, it's positioned as kind of, you know, being exotic, but yet kind of being, you know, kind of accessible, I guess. So it's kind of, it's two very, very different things, but I think the story that Australia kind of tells tells the world is is fascinating because it's it's probably not as complex as it as it could be. Yeah, for sure, it's definitely simplified. It was been adverts for a long time in Australia, or well, for two hundred plus years to get the new world here to Australia. Um, yeah, it's, that would be an interesting history about the different ways that Australia has sold itself over time and the way that it can in the future. Now it's sort of heading, that's always been, built itself as a bit exclusive once it got over its convict history. 
Well, yeah, and technically, yeah. even that was exclusive. It's just you didn't have the choice to come. <laughs> it was like an all-inclusive resort, except you couldn't leave. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, why would you? Um, Club Med. <laughs> the, um, the one thing we picked, picked, well, we dropped off last week was around when when do you put a narrative or when is narrative go has served its purpose or when does it end? Like either one, it can either serve its purpose and you can put it lay to rest or it literally runs its course and falls off the horse. Is there a difference between the two or is there, do you reckon there's a bit of, I feel like there's a lot to end a narrative well if you read a book or, you know, like a narrative that you digest in a, uh, a traditional form hmm. is a really hard thing to do, uh, to do well. To do it well in in lived context and shared experience is is something altogether. I don't know. You can get quite energetic on it. It sometimes lives its course and has to be reinvented and put to bed. Yeah, in a moment of time, talking louder than, and everyone feeling that moment of time. But then there can also be a designed a design time to put it to bed. Say for the Australian marketing context, mm. putting it to bed the dry Australia and it looks like Australia now is trying to swing to being maybe the, the opportunistic Australia, especially Tasmania and a few of the southern states trying to address the climate crisis that's going to involve a whole planet mm. uh, and, and geographically positioned. They're looking like the data is pointing to Tasmania. <laughs> and to southern Australia. So that narrative is almost getting put to bed. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And like, I think, you know, there's there's a lot in there to kind of dig in, dig into. I think the, you know, the first part to start with is about what happens when narratives end. And they, they always, they always end, but they tend to end in kind of two different ways. One is that they end up as a, almost becoming values. So that's, you know, for example, kind of a, a story in an organization or in a place or between a group of individuals. <clears throat> the narrative, like, for example, building a house. Building a house is kind of, it's, it's a narrative in terms of, and it's very common, and you know, that's shared amongst amongst people. So there's kind of, there's the, there's the vision, you know, there's kind of, there's the dream, there's the emotional drivers around kind of making, making a place in the world. And there's, you know, there's all connotations of nesting, of kind of improvement, you know, expression that all go into it. And then there's the reality of, of the process, which is kind of that, you know, like it's like, it's like the three degrees of hope that you see in a lot of kind of narrative construction that so the dream gets slightly dented it's like oh that won't be too bad and then there's kind of there's the setting of kind of like there's some point of crisis like can we kind of go on and then there's kind of there's the i guess the kind of stoicism to kind of make it make it to the end and then kind of everyone sits at the end and kind of goes wow look how great this is and the narrative continues right so it's but those those are types of things where it's kind of we believe in terms of owning your own home and place that's the enduring part of that kind of thing that is actually a value that's in our that's in our society now you can question the notion of kind of ownership and kind of versus kind of you know the permanence etc which is more philosophical but the the construct of kind of owning something and having your place in the world is is part of our values right in terms of actually as a as a society and it's not just here in australia it's in most societies in terms of being able to do that but then the narrative that allows for that to happen is reoccurring but it's actually become a set, become a set of values whereas 
I think there's other narratives that are that are much more challenging for us to actually overcome because they don't end up becoming part of a values. They actually become because something that we tend to paper over, right? Which is kind of like climate change is is a great one, right? The the narrative that you're already touching on there, Patty, is about escape, right? So people believe that they're going to be able to escape the impending crisis by, you know, if you're a rich tech billionaire, you're buying places in New Zealand. If you're only a millionaire, you're trying to look at buying a place in Tassie, right? So it's kind of, it's, you know, this is kind of how people believe they're going to get away from this. They're going to get away from what's actually coming. Whereas really the the truth of that narrative is actually our failure to accept around kind of living in harmony. And it's actually about humanity starting to think about itself in terms of, you know, how do we live in this place and how do we actually act as genuine custodians of, of this land and actually of the place that we actually call home. Um, and that's about kind of trying to find a balance. It doesn't have to be a traditional balance. Like it's, you know, it can be a scientific balance in terms of that, you know, we figure out ways to generate energy that are clean. We figure out ways to recycle water. You know, we figure out a way to turn floating plastic into fish. I mean, who knows, right? In terms of kind of the ways that we could we could take it, but it doesn't have to be about a natural solution to it, but it's the narrative is the problem when it actually comes to, it comes to climate change. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. One thing when we were talking off air about this climate change narrative is last episode we spoke about sometimes a protest will put a narrative to bed, like how do you kill a narrative? And I love that point where you're talking about a good narrative really does end up being some core principles that you live by. And you can see that um, in lots of different things in, in society, when you dig deep about where something came from and how it exists and how it moves forward, it really leans on its it leans on its foundations, which is its story and its narrative. Um, a strong one does that anyway. But climate change has been an interesting one and, and protests in general about how narrative is ended and whether in of itself it's sort of how it's constructed whether it actually has a point where it can end or it exists in society to have this opposing views um and there's different impacts and things that push upon that narrative between pro and against that or for and with or you know the parties that are moving this public narrative that Mm misconstrued the actual purpose of it or what they're fighting for, which can become quite dangerous because the narrative can exist for in and of itself and we forget what we're actually fighting for that cause. And you hit there with that reimagining, that's when a maybe the narrative of climate change can be put to bed and it's more something around living more in a harmonious space with the world around you and being part of mm. Um, can maybe change it a little bit and break free some of these shackles of pro and against. At least we live in a world like that here in Australia where 
our prime minister can still bring in a lump of coal and use it as an argument for forward thinking <laughs> movement like that's where we're sitting yeah um, there's uh, there's no there's no doubt there's no doubt to that and i think the the other part that you know that you're kind of touching on there pat is that there's a generational piece to narrative as well right so the kind of <clears throat> the lived experience of of the different generations looking at that so if you look for example what's going on around climate change there you know there's a generational take where you know i think it's fairly safe to say that kind of you know kids under the age of 12 kind of have a viewpoint that is very very different than people over the age of 60 in terms of kind of you know in general but also because of kind of what they're actually exposed to and where their beliefs actually actually start so this belief around kind of you know just care care for environment i mean i grew up in you know a world where everyone would you know drink and drive and throw their beer bottle out the out the window on on their way or you know if they finish their mcdonald's and it'd be like oh i'll throw it in the ditch it was seen as as a as a way to just dispose of your garbage right so even just the the construct of littering whereas now um you know litter is seen and it's picked up right and it's kind of it's you know so there's there's simple things like that that have they've just changed and um, but they've they've if you look at that behavior it's it's now it's it that's that's permanence now a value and so when i look at kind of climate change i think there's parts of this where if you're of the generation of like scomo for example like they're sitting there kind of going well coal and you know this is playing out in the uk at the moment is that we need it because it's actually kind of it's a better security blanket while we test out a lot of these kind of unknown kind of things whereas the new generation coming through it's like it's a skip step they're just going to go well of course like you know batteries are the future this you know the way that we store energy and these types of things there's there's a belief that we can and we have to do something about that that's about the actual kind of energy generation that we use but the missing part in in it all is that we're actually using more energy right so this kind of this this thing about kind of how do we address all of this and actually kind of pull it together is that what you'll start to see if we're going to do something about this is that that's what it'll become about right is this idea of kind of efficiency and harmoniously will kind of become about something that becomes something we start to all believe in not mm. necessarily rail rail against for sure i think you're hitting that point is that that switch and it sounds like we're slowly putting to bed that that narrative of climate change because i feel like that is what has held up a lot of this movement you look at evs for an example and it's come up against an industry that's relied upon the narrative of coal and creating jobs for people um oil so and then you'd look at the history of trying to stunt the growth of the innovation of the ev industry i'm not saying evs are the answer to everything that i think a lot of people post up but it's still a, a hard thing trying to change an entrenched industry and entrenched mindset and so yeah it's a, it's a good point where we're coming up to next and that harmonious point about how to live within within something and with something um and part of something bigger than just ourselves is is a great point for society to strive together and and drop some of that that position of putting ourselves out and trying to escape it will hopefully get rid of some of that um exclusiveness of being able to escape a terrible problem that we all face because it is brutal what is happening in, in tassie and new zealand in particular hearing hearing that the bunkers <laughs> the bunkers yeah so that's in and of itself a little micro narrative that's going on making a few people who's got a bit of coin feel safe about the inevitable doom but one thing that i've been 
thinking about of late is the narrative that, and you touched on with intergenerational, and it's this narrative that, I don't know if you've had the same thought, but a narrative of um, our own immortality reimagined every generation. Every generation feels like the world's sky is going to fall on their head, a comet's going to land, mm. you're going to get invaded by X, Y, Z, or the atomic bomb. Like the end of the world is always <laughs> reimagined yep. in the place we call home, planet Earth, over and over and over again in different narrative form every generation or so. Maybe yep. there's two generations in one narrative. But it's, it's surprising because it's so innate, that fear or that collective, like, where you have to face it individually, but collectively it's like, oh, no. Is that scary? Yeah, well, I think, I, no, I think I think you just hit the nail on the head with the, that it's that it's a fear, right? So it's kind of it's it's ultimately to do with our own mortality and, and kind of and that is projected out in terms of that as a as a civilization, we therefore must have a a mortality and what's going to be the thing that actually kind of pushes it pushes it over the over the line. Whereas if you you know, if you kind of really step back and you kind of, you know, as I know, you know, Pat, you kind of look through, look through history, what, what doesn't happen is absolute collapse of everything. What does happen is collapse of kind of core ideas and constructs, right? That is, that is the thing that kind of goes away. But from that comes something new that <clears throat> is broadly more resilient, right? So it's, and I think those are the kind of things that, you know, as, as again, it comes back to kind of the, the stories that we actually actually tell ourselves is that it does come from a fear, right? But the fear is actually, it's true, right? So that kind of this, these things will change and they will change, change in your lifetime and that you will change and they're all, but they tend to get wrapped up into um, and attached, I guess, is the, is the key thing to watch out for is that it's often that, you know, this narrative, whether it's, um, you know, like I think, you know, the, the climate emergency is an emergency, but it's not, it's not yet over, right? It's that we're still going to be able to live. It's just not going to be able to live particularly well um, in that, in that space. And that's the choice that we're facing, for example. But the main, the main thing is what it attaches to, right? And I think this is, this is hard if people feel they have agency to change things and to move things through, they tend to attach to the positive side of that, which is that I can make a difference. If they feel a lack of agency and they can't do anything about stuff, they tend to act to the negative, which is that this is all doom and gloom. And I am absolutely going to take on the authority that's put it, put it in place. And I think that's where narrative again is, is interesting. And, you know, coming back to some of the stuff we've spoken about on social media is that you tend to find now that if you kind of, depending on what you're attaching to, you can find your, your, your community and, but that community isn't talking to others yet. Yeah, it's true. It isn't talking to others and, and that attachment to fear is, is used very, yeah, different ways for different purposes. Um, and we could go go round and round with the climate change narrative and how, like one thing that came to mind though that I think would be good to, to raise is that, you know, the, the Shell service station changing that narrative from corporation to individual. Mm -hmm. And they did it really well in terms of you make the choice to change. Yep. When really the, the dent in the ocean is coming from corpse leading the way, but at the same time, it needs to come from individuals pushing that. So there is, a, there is a piece to it, but it was interesting how that narrative shifted in a positive way to feel like people had agency 
mm. in creating change. But it was where that change was coming from, when you look at it with perspective, was quite clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's no doubt. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I think in, in a lot of like a lot of things in life is it kind of it's it's how the incentives are actually aligned, right? So, you know, I think <clears throat> government historically has kind of been the person who's kind of set the set the carrot and government kind of particularly in democracy is is of the people so you know the kind of the the incentives start to line up to kind of move to the move to the other side so like Norway is a great example of that right so it's it's wealthy because it's it has oil and it's used that oil to then actually incentivize the fact that you know like I mean I think it's the biggest market in the world for um, EV vehicles right but that's only part of it because that's just one incentive the government's put in place it's still heated majority by by oil by gas etc so that's the part that the government hasn't put any incentives against to change right but they have in a in an ev sense so people have seen a market and then being able to actually actually enter in but like anything and this is perhaps where we can kind of you know go next with narrative is that markets are narratives right they kind of their their story around kind of what we what we tell ourselves something is actually actually worth but you know where i take hope around things like climate is that the environment we're actually starting to put worth on it right it's not just something that is that is there and innate we're starting to realize that we're connected to it. Now, there's a time horizon, there's all of those types of things that, you know, we may or may not, because I don't think we fully understand, you know, the, the dynamics, how could how could we, but kind of that that piece I think is, is interesting, but at least we're starting to kind of at a mass level understand that we're connected to something that is bigger than us, which is very difficult for humans. It's mm. very, very hard for us to kind of see ourselves in the world in which we actually kind of sit. Yeah, it's true. You've hit a nail on the head there. We struggle to see ourselves as part of something um, that we call this earth. And then, yeah, markets as narratives is interesting in terms of how how narratives and markets shift and, and understanding the, the contexts that shift those things, I think will be good to get into next week. Yeah, and a bit, of, I think a bit on place as well, right? Because like places are narratives too. So, you know, and for, you know, and I think those are kind of the two two things to look at is that, you know, a, a place is a physical thing, just like a market has some physical thing generally involved in it at, at some level, but there's there's kind of narrative that goes around it. So like Tassie, for example, is a place, has a narrative, right? But it's actually, it's still a place, right? It's got object in terms of that it's located on a certain latitude and longitude, and it has a certain kind of, um, I guess, kind of, you know, geography to it. And it also has a good kind of certain environment to it, right? But those are all kind of knowns. But the kind of the story of Tassie is very, very different. It's not dissimilar to, to money in terms of or kind of any type of kind of market that we create. Yeah, it's true. All right, let's go down the Tassie narrative. Be, it has had a lot of change, that Tassie area over the period of time. But, yeah, let's try and see what sort of change it has had over the past 200 years and and try and get a bit of intel on how it um, how it exists pre. Nice. Pre and I'll get to t get to tell my Tassie Tiger story. Most importantly, <laughs> he's been waiting a couple of episodes now to tell that Tassie Tiger yeah, story. I have. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Oh well, I look forward to listening to it again, Joe. All right, Patty. We'll stay well, and we'll chat next week. Thank you for listening to BAU Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's B-A-U-P-O-D dot co.